you know, not only are you hit by a hurricane and your capital gets destroyed, but say if you need to rebuild, if you need to say rebuild a road, but you also want to reinforce that road somehow to uh, prevent future damages, the cost of doing that is now higher. Hi, I'm Clémentine Vanifontaire. I'm an assistant professor of economics at the University of Toronto, and this is Inequalitox. Rhiannon George is an assistant professor in the Department of Economics at Temple University. Her research uses applied methods in microeconomics to understand the relationship between urban growth dynamics, public good provision, and environmental regulation. I wanted her to tell me about the long-term economic impacts of natural disasters and climate change. So we spoke about her very recent research with Matthew Kahn and Gary Lean, in which they study what happens to local public finances in the aftermath of hurricanes in the United States. Hi, Renan. Thank you for being here with me today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Clementine. I wanted to talk about your research because there is a growing attention in the public debate on the impact of climate change on inequality. And your paper looks at the economic impact of one type of natural disaster on local public finance. I wanted to start talking about why is it important to look at this level of governance in particular, if we care about inequality in general? Yeah, so yeah, thanks very much for the question. Um, so I would say that economics has something to say about um, how natural disasters affect um, like higher levels of government. So there's been a bit of research already done on how, say, hurricanes affect federal level spending. Um, so in particular, there's work by Tatiana Diorgina at the University of Illinois, uh, where she's showing that, you know, not only do things like hurricanes cause substantial economic damage, where they literally destroy buildings and infrastructure and capital, um, but they also cause people to increase their demand for social uh, welfare payments. Like there's increases in disability insurance or increases in um, sort of medical insurance claims uh, when people get displaced um, due to hurricanes. And so there's kind of this added cost that we observe at the federal level uh, from hurricanes. So in this paper, what we were interested in looking at is, uh, you know, what are some costs that local governments might be incurring that haven't really been documented yet in the literature? And so to answer your question, you know, why, why do we care about local governments? You know, and we, when we talk about local governments, we're talking about any kind of municipality or village or township or a city. Uh, so it's kind of like the lowest level of government where taxpayers, you know, elect representative officials, for example. Um, so why, why are we concerned with local governments? I mean, for one thing, there are a lot of local governments. You know, there's over 30,000 local governments across the U.S. And they actually play a pretty critical role in uh, the U.S. economy. So if, if you aggregate up all of the uh, expenses at all levels of government that uh, people consume, through public goods. And so by public goods, I mean um, goods and services provided by the public sector or some kind of government entity. Um, if we aggregate all of those expenditures at federal, state, and local levels, what you see is like the, that, that total amount is something like $15,000 
per person per year. So these are expenditures on, you know, education, uh, fixing roads, sanitation, public safety. And actually, if you look at, you know, what portion of that $15,000 comes from local versus state versus federal levels, uh, over a third actually come from local governments. So local governments, whenever you're consuming like a bundle of public goods, local governments are basically providing over a third of that bundle. To the degree that local government might be harmed by disasters or the provision of this third of public goods is impacted by climate change, um, that actually can have a pretty big impact on uh, you know, your average taxpayer's consumption of public goods. Uh, so it might have a big impact on um, their ability to you know, send their kids to a local school or um, the quality of the roads outside your house um, or you know, how effective the uh, drinking water infrastructure is it removing contaminants from your drinking water. And so these are all really important local public goods that people consume. And so we wanted to expose with this paper, or at least explore, you know, how are these goods and services compromised, if at all? And uh, who is that really impacting? Uh, the other thing I was going to say is, you know, why look at local governments um, from the perspective of inequality in particular? When you think about local public goods, when you think about public schools or like public hospitals or public transportation, uh, you know, when we think about who is the who is most likely to be utilizing these public services, generally speaking, those people are more likely to be um, lower income. If, say, I don't like the schedule of the local bus system or I don't think that it's going to effectively get me to my job, I can presumably you know, use the option of driving a car. It's more expensive, but I have that option. But if you're lower income, that that might be much more difficult. You're much more reliant on the public transit. And so the fact that it's much more difficult for lower income people to substitute away from public goods to, to a private substitute means that, you know, the provision of these public goods and services is particularly important for them. Uh, so there is an inequality aspect here, particularly at the at the local level, because the people that tend to be most reliant on these uh, government provided goods and services are lower income people. And before we talk about your results, I just wanted you to walk us through the potential channels through which a natural disaster such as a hurricane can affect local public finances. Yeah, so there's a couple channels. So there can be kind of a mechanical effect. So, you know, buildings are destroyed, houses are destroyed. Uh, what that means is that the city maybe has lower um, property tax revenues or business revenues, for example, sales tax revenues. If, if businesses up and leave or if just the availability of housing that can be bought and sold declines, um, that can reduce tax revenues for the city. Other channels are uh, people maybe respond to exposure to a hurricane by deciding to leave. They say, you know, I didn't realize this place was as risky as it is, uh, so I'm going to move maybe inland. Or a response might be, you know, I no longer have the job that I used to have and I need to find employment elsewhere. Um, so you can have an, a result where people will leave a, a place that is exposed to a major natural disaster. Uh, and that also can cause declines in, in local revenues. Um, another channel that, that we're picking up with this paper that I think is a particularly important channel 
is that hurricanes can actually increase the cost of borrowing for a city. Cities rely on debt or they rely on borrowing to fund major infrastructure projects or major uh, projects that have a large upfront cost, like the cost of building a big bridge or say installing, you know, a new sewer pumping system or building a whole new public park. Like these things have very large upfront costs that the city maybe can't pay just with its tax revenues in a given year alone. It has to, it has to borrow. And the, those borrowing costs are really a function of how uh, the market perceives how able that government is to repay that debt. So if, if the market, like if, if, if people like you and I or um, investors see a city as maybe less able to repay its debt, then the interest that they're going to require or the return that they're going to require for giving a loan to that city is going to increase. So that means from the city's perspective, the cost of borrowing will increase if, if it's deemed riskier by the market, broadly speaking. And so what we do with this paper is we measure how that is affected uh, using data from a major bond ratings agency. And so we observe that after cities are hit by hurricanes, on average, this ratings agency, uh, Moody's Analytics in particular is the one we're looking at, they actually decrease the ratings of, of a city's debt, meaning they deem a city's debt as more risky. And so that means that for cities, their cost of debt can, can actually increase. So what that means is that, you know, not only are you hit by a hurricane and your capital gets destroyed, but say if you need to rebuild, if you need to say rebuild a road, but you also want to reinforce that road somehow to uh, prevent future damages, the cost of doing that is now higher. Uh, so those are kind of the three main channels that we pick up with this paper. And so to measure the impact of hurricanes, you combine different data sources. And in particular, uh, could you tell us how you measure exposure to hurricane and what are the novelties of, of your approach in this area? So the idea that we have with the hurricane exposure measure is that we really want to measure basically exposure to wind speed. So some kind of the earlier economics literature looking at the impacts of hurricanes uh, used the kind of intensity of a hurricane by measuring kind of like damages to capital or like population loss. We didn't want to do that because as you, you can think about how damages to existing infrastructure, damages to capital or population loss, those things can actually dynamically respond to exposure to a hurricane. Right. So like people might leave a place that is repeatedly hit by a hurricane or the other issue with that measure is that if New York City is hit by a hurricane uh, and like a few paintings in the Met are destroyed, that mechanically has a much larger damage than if, if say, a small town in like uh, Maine is, is impacted by a hurricane. So we didn't want to use those kinds of measures of damage that are indexed to some kind of economic uh, variable. So instead, we just followed um, climate climate science and we followed kind of meteorologists in their approach to measuring hurricane exposure uh, by really focusing on wind speed. And so uh, what we do is for we kind of separate the entire United States into census tracts. And for every census tract, we basically measure, you know, what is the maximum wind speed that the census tract experiences over a five-year period. And that is our measure of hurricane exposure. And so a hurricane is, climatologists define a hurricane as wind speeds in excess of 
about 64 knots, and major hurricanes as wind speeds in excess of 96 knots. Uh, so that's how we define define exposure. So, so our impacts, like the way to interpret our effects are kind of the difference between a city being exposed to say 50 knot winds versus like 75 knot winds. So like a standard deviation increase in wind speed. And so what are the results that you find in terms of not only the fiscal cost, but also uh, the evolution of public good provisions and capital investment? We measure how revenues and expenditures change in a municipality hit by a hurricane in the 10 years after a hurricane strike. And what we see is that revenues fall by about 2% on average and expenditures fall by, by a similar magnitude, about 1% to 2%. One thing that we do notice is that major storms, so these are storms that have wind speeds in excess of 96 knots, uh, these have much stronger effects. So major storms cause local revenues to fall by over 7%, and they cause expenditures to fall by almost 6%. So if you think about a 6% decline in local expenditures, that's roughly half the amount your average municipality in the United States spends on its fire and police budget. What we're finding is that like after your average city is hit by a major storm, so a storm with winds over 96 knots, that's basically wiping out almost half the budget that city is spending on their police and their fire protection. You find some heterogeneous effects that are really interesting by the type of residents of these cities. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so we do see that these effects are much, much larger in areas that have a higher proportion of residents who are either a racial minority or have a higher poverty rate or have a higher portion of the population with less than a high school degree. So these are kind of the three dimensions of heterogeneity we look at is, you know, what portion of a city's or a municipality's population is minority, uh, what portion uh, earns income below the poverty line, and what portion has less than a high school education. And in all three of these dimensions, we see that the, these loss in revenue expenditures are larger, uh, the more kind of low socioeconomic status the population is of a community. The other thing I didn't mention is that we do see these negative impacts on the cost of debt and bond ratings. So we see, for example, that a city that has like an above median share of residents that are non-white will have an increase in the cost of debt that's like eight times that of a city that's entirely white. So it does seem that communities that are either minority status or lower income they're, they're much less resilient to these major hurricane shocks. La minute technique. In this podcast, researchers take about one minute to explain one technical aspect of their work. I thought you could maybe give us the intuition behind the empirical strategy that you use to try to get at the causal effect of hurricanes on public finance. What we're really relying on with this approach is that the timing and location of where a hurricane will strike 
from the perspective of somebody running a local government or somebody making budget decisions for a local government is more or less random. It's more or less like a dice roll. So you might argue, well, you know, Miami knows it's going to get hit by hurricanes once every couple of years, but, you know, municipalities in, say, Oklahoma know that they're not going to get hit by a hurricane. Uh, so that's going to create differences in how those two local governments budget. That's definitely true. So what we want to do is we, we only want to compare municipalities that have you know, somewhat similar risk of getting hit by a hurricane at any given time. And so what we do is we utilize, in our sample, we only focus on governments that are in states that are ever hit by a hurricane. So these are states that are along the Gulf Coast and along the Atlantic Coast. And we also condition on kind of municipality-specific fixed effects. So, so what that means is that uh, we're basically kind of taking two municipalities that have kind of very similar growth trends or very similar exposure to risk from, from a hurricane and comparing outcomes for one that is kind of randomly hit by a hurricane versus one that is, that is randomly uh, kind of not hit by that hurricane. And so again, the idea is that within a year, within the time frame that a local official is making budgeting decisions, they might know, okay, there's some non-zero chance that we will be hit by a hurricane, but we don't know exactly if it will hit, you know, in January or July. And so the fact that there is that variability means that any differences we see across two communities uh, kind of in similar, with similar risk exposure, um, after one is hit by a hurricane strike, any changes in, say, expenditures for that one community that differ from expenditure changes in the other community not hit by the hurricane we can plausibly attribute to being caused by that hurricane. So we know that in general, after a hurricane hits a particular uh, community, the federal government tends to intervene. Uh, and in light of your results, what do you think are the way we should think about policy interventions going forward if we want to address this more like long-term effect of hurricanes? Yeah, so one thing that we, we are definitely seeing is that um, uh, a lot of these effects, like the decline in revenues and the decline in expenditures that we see really only happen after the first five years or so after hurricane exposure. So it's not as though a hurricane hits and immediately a place is in like total disarray. We don't actually see these impacts on the local budget until, you know, four to five years after uh, the hurricane strike. And so you might ask, well, what's going on there? Well, what's going on is that these places are actually getting transfers from the federal government. So they're getting things like FEMA grants or state rainy day funds. So they're getting an influx of aid from higher levels of government that are offsetting these initial impacts, right? So we don't actually see a decline in revenues or expenditures right away. But when we see it is after these federal and state transfers go away. So after kind of this initial influx of aid, uh, where a city is then kind of left to vie for itself, um, that's where really when we see these declines in public goods provision manifesting. And so kind of the takeaway from that is that these, these federal transfer programs do actually help quite a bit offsetting these local impacts of, of hurricanes. Um, and it might be an argument for having more aid. I think that depends on some other much bigger questions that you might ask about, like, well, does it make sense to have 
municipalities and, and people living in these hurricane prone areas. Um, that's a question that is very important, um, but we can abscond from with this particular paper. Um, but it does suggest that these federal transfer pro transfer programs are pretty effective at, at mitigating the, the uh, kind of negative consequences of hurricanes for local local communities. Okay, and so before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you if you had a particular recommendation for our listeners, a book, a movie, or something that inspired you that you would like to share. Sure. Uh, so um, I was going to suggest a book, again, that I have to thank my co-author Gary Lynn for suggesting, um, but it's a book called Isaac Storm by Eric Larson. So this is a book about a major hurricane that hit Galveston, Texas in September of 1900. Uh, and so while this book is not at face value necessarily about economics or inequality, um, I think for me, I, I'm originally from the Midwest, so I'm an inlander, uh, and I've, I've never really been exposed to a major hurricane, knock on wood. But so this book really like brought the whole experience to life for me. So just kind of in a nutshell, what happened with this 1900 hurricane in Galveston, Texas, is it basically wiped out this city of Galveston that at the time was, you know, even more economically vibrant than Houston, Texas. So like Galveston was kind of on this trajectory to be kind of this like New York City of Texas. It was like this major metropolitan hub of commerce and art. Uh, and th this storm really kind of wiped the city off the map and, uh, and Houston has subsequently become kind of the major commercial center of Texas. And so this, this book, I think, highlights how these kind of natural disasters do have lasting impacts kind of on cities and municipalities and kind of the economic trajectory of local governments. Um, and it also really highlights how, you know, part of the reason this storm had such a de devastating impact on Galveston is because the American climatologists at the time were like ignoring uh, modern science and we're ignoring recommendations from other governments' weather forecasting bureaus. Like Cuba was trying to convince Galveston, like, hey, you guys got to evacuate. And um, the local weather bureau there was sort of ignoring these recommendations altogether. And so I think it, it sort of tells a tale of like what can happen when you discount low risk events that have really high costs. Thank you so much, Rhiannon, for your time and for this conversation. Thank you, Clementine, it was my pleasure. This was Inequality Talks, a podcast recorded by Clementine Vanifonter in Toronto. Music is by The Count. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs>